Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. Can we give all of our guests a warm welcome this morning? Just a hand clap. We're going to do something a little bit different this weekend at Life Church. Um, we are going to, um, we kind of like to mix it up a little bit. We call it kind of being consistently inconsistent so that you don't walk in and go, well, I know what's going to happen next. They're going to sing this song. You do this and this. Before you know it, you're falling asleep, or you're doing your grocery list, or whatever you got to do this next week. Not that anybody would ever do that in church, but uh, we are we're going to uh, go into in just a minute a time of worship and reflection, and then we're going to follow that up with a time of communion, and then we're going to kind of end with a couple of songs, and uh, and then we're going to uh, wrap things up. And um, part of this is that we're in this series called Slanograph Jesus, where we're talking about stories like maybe that you heard at VBS growing up. And um, as we're doing this, one of the things that I was reminded of is that uh, one of probably the greatest teachings that wasn't a teaching, that really wasn't even a parable, kind of was, but not really, um, that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he went into the death and the resurrection, before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, before he took on the cross, before he was tried, before, uh, before Pilate, and then he rose again. And we know that as the Last Supper. And the Last Supper is really one of the, I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but it's probably one of the greatest object lessons that's ever in Scripture. Because it's in this moment that Jesus brings the disciples together, and instead of teaching them something, he brings them into an experience. It's interesting to me how Jesus does that. If we were going to have our last words with our kids or with our loved ones before we were going to leave and die, we'd probably say, now there's a couple things I want you to remember. There's a couple things I want you to get. There's a few things. Get a pen and a piece of paper. Let me write this down. Let me tell you where. He doesn't do that. He has this experience with them that he commands them to relive over and over and over and over again, even before they understand the significance of it. It's going to be something that's going to be repeated for thousands of years in all types of settings by people that call themselves Christians. And it's going to happen until he comes again. And it's recorded in Luke chapter 22, verse number 14. Jesus says this, and when the hour came, he and his apostles reclined at the table. I love that, the picture of Christ. Because the pictures that are painted in art galleries of Jesus are not really, it's not the Jesus I read on the pages. I see this man who lived his life on this earth by physical labor. So he, and walked everywhere he went. He would have been not a man that was pasty white. He was a Jewish male. He wouldn't have been emaciated. He was a vibrant, robust man that would have been uh, you know, wouldn't have been Mr. Olympia, but, but would have been a, a man of, of, of a great physique. And he's sitting there with these men that he's poured his life into, realizing what's at stake, realizing what's about to happen, knowing that they don't have a clue. And the Bible says he reclines at the table. You ever been there when you've had dinner with friends and you've been together and you just kind of sit back and then you begin to really kind of go into this deep conversation? The whole night's kind of seemed surface until this point. And he says this, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Wow, what a statement. For I tell you, I will not eat it again 
until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of heaven. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, this, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again until the vine, or the fruit of the vine, until the kingdom of heaven of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and said, to, and gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, the cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Now again, these guys don't completely understand what's about to happen. He's talked a little bit about this and he hasn't really, but, but they're gonna get it. 72 hours later, what he's talking about will become a reality to them. And he takes kind of this object lesson of the bread representing his body and the cup representing his blood that would be shed for the remission of sins. And he says, listen, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you come together and you celebrate my death, do this in remembrance of me. Always remember that when you take of the bread, which is my body, and you take of the cup, which is my blood, understand that I did this for you. It brings a whole new meaning to what he said back in John chapter 3, verse 16, because these verses are echoing through their mind because they were there when he spoke those words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe upon him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. And that bread represents the humanity of Christ. And, and I'm thankful for the divine resources. I'm thankful that, that Jesus is a son living God, that he was 100% God, 100% man. I, I'm thankful for the divine, but, but can I really be honest with you? I am so thankful for his humanity. Because it's through the humanity that I understand every time I go to the throne of grace that I can obtain mercy that I understand the words that the gospels penned, that he was like us in all ways. He was like man. He was tempted and tried in all manner of ways, yet without sin. That he perfectly navigated this life, this life that I struggle with, this life that has ups and downs, this life that has ins and outs. He perfectly navigated that life. And the blood, which represents not his humanity, but his divinity. Because understand, our sins, the sins of humanity, not him, but our sins required a perfect sacrifice without spot or without blemish. Someone who was 100% God and 100% man. Someone who was like us in every manner, tempted and tried in every way, yet without sin. And that divine blood that was spilled, that was shed for you and for me. The Bible says brings two things in our life. First and foremost, salvation of our sins, which means that we can be right before God because there's no way that I can be right before God. The Bible says that on my best days, my righteousness are as the filthy rags inside of a holy God. So it redeems me from the sin and from the curse. It sets me free. It makes sure that heaven's my home, that I'm only passing through this world. But it also, Isaiah 53, 5 says that because of what he did, by his stripes, I'm healed. That's another powerful component to, to communion. Is that when we partake of the bread and the cup, we also have supernatural access to divine healing. Maybe you're sick in your body today. The Bible says where two or more are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. And if they ask anything according to his will, it'll be done for them by the Father in heaven. Why would Isaiah say by his stripes we are healed if we don't have access to the divine nature of God, to divine healing? We do. 
James goes on to say, if there's any sick among you, let the elders of the church come forward, lay hands on them and anoint them with oil and pray the prayer of faith. That's what's important. We've been talking about faith the last three weeks here. And they will be made whole. See, as we go into communion, Paul tells us in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that we should do a couple of things. Jesus talked about it here too. First of all, we should remember what Jesus did. One of the things I love about communion is that I remember that he forgets. He doesn't just forgive me my sins, he forgets my sins. Have you ever stopped and thought about that? And I remember it during this time of what he did. Because here's the deal. We're all spinning wheels and making deals and we've got vacation and we've got this and that. We're working in our yards and we've got things that are going on and, and we're gonna, uh, many of us are going to go today and play in this, in this missions golf outing here at Life Church and have a big fun time and we're eating and we're seeing friends and we're making our plans and we're hurrying up today to get our showers in, to get the kids ready, to get them off at Life Kids, to get Rob them off at Early Childhood, to get in here to get a seat and just sit down and, and we're just exhausted. And nobody really got up this morning and probably thought, Jesus, thank you. God, thank you for loving me enough that you gave your only son. Thank you, Jesus, enough for coming and living this sinless life. And thank you that for me, you were tried, you were beaten, you were bruised, you were whipped within an inch of your life. And in that state, you walked the Via Dolorosa and you died on a cross for my sins. And you died the death of a criminal. For me. See, communion just kind of puts the brakes on everything. It just slows all the RPMs down. It just, takes, it just cuts the engines. And it just says, remember. That's what he says. Remember. Every time you do this, remember. Remember. It's a time that we reflect. Paul tells us that we should not take this cup unworthily. What does that word unworthily means? Uh, it doesn't mean that I have to be good enough to, to take of communion. It means that I shouldn't take it lightly. I shouldn't just do it. And in our culture, people just, they take the, they take the, the, the bread, they take the, they take the juice like it's going to be some safety net to get them out of hell. No, Romans says, Paul says in the book of Romans, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that God is who's the Bible, that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is. And with my mouth I confess and with my heart I believe. It has nothing to do with communion. This is simply a remembrance for those of us in this room that are Christ followers. That this is a time that I don't take this lightly because he didn't take it lightly. Paul also says that we should look over and check ourselves and examine ourselves. And that word examine doesn't mean about my past. Remember, my sins are gone. My past is not only just forgotten, it's forgiven. But how am I doing right now? What's happening today? Where's my attitude? Are you edgy? Are you cantankerous? Don't point at anybody right now, that's not very nice. Don't elbow your spouse and see them bobbing like this. Huh? You're rebellious against your parents, but they just the words of Will Smith, parents just don't understand it. They're not ever going to understand. How are you? Is your heart hard? How long has it been since you've been in the presence of God in a way that breaks you, reduces you? Where you just say, God, palms up. You know, this past week has been kind of a crazy week for me. 
And it feels like for the past couple weeks, my prayers just feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling. I don't know if you ever had that problem, but it's just been one of those deals for me. And this past week in one of my prayer times, I, man, it was just like God just broke me. I had lunch with a friend and he made a statement that has just been marinating on the rotisserie of my heart over and over and over and over and over. And the essence is, it's not about me. And when God talks to me, he kind of talks to me like how a football coach would talk to his player. He didn't call me by my name, my first name. He just says, Cole, are you done trying? Are you done spinning your wheels, making your deals, trying to maneuver? Are you done with you? And it was one of those times where I just had to say, God, forgive me. It's been about me. Not about me like in an ego way, but it's been about me and the way of this ambitious drive that I have inside of me. This monster of more, not, not of, of material things, but of just trying to take more territory for the kingdom and trying to do more things and more things and more things and, and this just holy discontent. It brought me back to a passage in the Old Testament where Moses wrestled with God all the way through from the time, if you look at his life, from the time that he left Egypt all the way through to the promised land, he wrestles with God except for one time. He doesn't try to push his own ambitious leadership way. And that's when God says, there's a promised land. You will see it, but you won't inherit it. And he says, okay. And theologians conjecture what he means by this. But I saw an insight this week that was like, wow. Because Moses came to the end of himself. He came to the end of his leadership journey. He came to the end of trying to let God lead this three million Israelites into the promised land. And he said, God, you're my promised land. And if that's your will, so be it. Palms up. And in that moment, the earth, I mean, the, the ceiling opened like Miller Park. And heaven came down. As the old hymnal says, in, in glory filled my soul. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe it's all about you. You're not doing anything simply wrong. It's just about you. You're just you. Just kill the engines for a minute and reflect and examine your heart. It's a time, too, that we rededicate. Jesus says, whenever you eat of this, eat of this bread and you take of this cup, whenever you do this, that word whenever means just you're going to do this on a regular basis. Whenever you do this, I want you to recommit yourself. For 2,000 years since this, since this instant, we've been doing this as Christ followers. In catacombs, in cathedrals, around dinner tables, church services, rededicating ourselves. When was the last time you said, God, I re-up. I re-enlist. I want to be a soldier in the army of the Lord. I, I, I just lay me down and, and add to do what you want me to do. 17 at a youth camp. 25 at a campus crusade for Christ meeting. On a mission trip that's kind of foggy and dusty from your memories. What about today? God, I just ask you, afresh and anew, 
Some of you, it's been a long time since the presence of the Holy Spirit has invaded your heart. And maybe just today you go, Holy Spirit, baptize me again. Renew me again. I'm reminded of what the word says. We have not because we ask not. And the last thing he says, and he says this over and over and over in this, in this time with the disciples. He said, we're not gonna do this again together until we do it in the kingdom, until the kingdom comes, until heaven comes. It's a time that we're reminded that Jesus Christ is coming again. It's a time where you and I just remind ourselves, we're reminded during communion that this world is not our home. We're only passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And there's coming the day, the Bible says, when there'll be a man in the cloud with a crown on his head and a sickle in his hand, and he will come and harvest the earth, and his name is Jesus. The Bible says that we will look to the east and those that are dead in Christ will rise first and those that are alive in Christ will be caught up together and forevermore shall we be with him. Listen to me, there's coming a day where your mortgage, where your car payment, where the struggles and the strains and the trophies and the status of life will mean nothing because this world will cease to exist and forevermore we will be with him. And we don't talk a lot about that. My grandparents' generation did because times are hard. Money was scarce. And the only reprieve they had from a hard world was when they would come together in a church. That's why they would do three-hour church services. Because they'd have a little, as my grandmother would say, a little touch of heaven would come down. And the burdens of their soul would be rolled away. But I'm telling you, these last couple of weeks, I've been reminded because of some situations, some circumstances, that we're not home yet. There's been some times the last couple weeks I've just been like, God, just take us home. You, you just deal with struggle, you deal with strain, you deal with things. You see how fragile we are as humanity. We, you see the feet of clay of people and you just go, oh God, oh God, have mercy upon us, have grace upon us. Jesus, anytime you're ready, just do it. Let the rapture of the church happen. Take us out of this world. You see trials and troubles and tribulations, wars and rumors of wars. The Bible says these are all signs of the times. Take us home. End all this. And that night when Jesus was reclining at the table, maxing and relaxing with the disciples, he says, we won't do this again till we do this face to face. And every time we take of communion, that we take of the bread and we take of the cup, we need to be reminded that maybe the very next time that we do this, we'll be at the table with Jesus. I'm reminded of that Old Testament story. When David goes to Lodabar and he brings Mephibosheth back from Lodabar. And Lodabar was a nowhereville town. It was the end of the world. It wasn't, you couldn't just see it from there. It was the end of the world. But Mephibosheth was a grandson of Jonathan, of the household of Saul. And David said, is there anyone that's in exile? I want to bring them back and restore them back to their rightful ownership because they're sons and daughters of the king. And the story says that David 
finds out that Mephibosheth, who's crippled, who was crippled from the time that, that the servant were, were rushing out when Saul dies and they're rushing out of the city of David, I mean, out of the city of Jerusalem and they're running for their lives because a new king was coming and they thought they were all gonna die. And in that, this, the, the servant, the maidservant falls, she crushes Mephibosheth's legs and he is crippled from that point forward. The Bible says that David brings Mephibosheth, who's maimed, and who's crippled and brings him back and says, he will forever eat at the king's table. He will forever take of the kingdom because he's a son and he's a daughter. He's an heir to the throne. You know what's great about that story is when you sit at the table, even though you may be crippled and lame, you don't see that. That's covered. All the defects are covered. All the sin is covered. Everything is covered. And you are at the table of the king because you are an heir. The Bible says that you and I are joint heirs with Jesus. That we are sons and daughters of the king. And every time we take of communion, we remember that our king is coming. And there will be a day when we'll sit at the table of the king. And we will drink of this new cup. And we will eat of this new bread. And forever we'll be with him. The greatest teaching, the last teaching, isn't with a lot of words, it's with an experience. So we're going to do that today. I'm going to pray, they're going to come back, and here's what I want you to do. I just want you to do exactly what we've been talking about. I I want you to take a couple of moments and remember what Jesus Christ did for you. I want you to take a few moments and reflect and say, man, how was my life and how's my relationship with Christ? And just kind of cut the engines and slow the RPMs. I want you to take these few moments and just re-up and re-enlist. And I want you to be reminded today that our king is on the throne, that our king is in charge, and that our king is coming. And there will come a day, and it may happen before the end of this service, that this world will be done and that we'll be with him. Father, I just thank you.